Video Game The Movie The Podcast. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Video Game The Movie The Podcast. I am one of your hosts, Mackenzie Easton, she, her, hers pronouns. And this is my co-host, Nathan Bertram, uh, he, him, and his. And our third co-host. I am Lexi Conwell, they, them, theirs. Awesome. So what is it we are talking about today, Nate? Today, we are talking about the 1993 classic. Classic. Super Mario Brothers the movie, which is the first in a long line of not-so-good video game adaptations that we're going to be talking about on this show. Important note here, live action, there were animated video game adaptations before this. Don't get at me about the anime. I know about it, okay? Yeah, we're going to stick mostly to movies that were released in theaters in North America and Europe because there's a lot we could get into in places like Japan. That we just don't think we would understand, to be completely frank. Yeah. We're also going to talk about things that aren't necessarily adaptations, but are very much about video games. Oh. What is one we were talking about? Jumanji? Yeah, Jumanji. Jumanji is uh, one. That one's one we really want to talk about. Like, anything where you're in a video game, I feel like is quite fair territory. Mm. And we might also branch into board game based movies what's the uh the one with the zerg or the like the board game the house zathura zathura yes so we're going to talk about stuff that isn't just like straight adaptations because mm-hmm. i feel like some of those movies actually get things right where video game adaptations often fail mm. yeah so like wreck it ralph for example is actually a good movie yeah yeah and about video games we're not talking about that right now those are going to be like special episodes in air quotes and then we'll do the chronological takedowns of like the video game adaptations in search for ones that are actually good it's gonna be a long journey folks yeah so nathan movie what where are we (laughs) i got a feeling we're not in brooklyn no more They're brothers. They're plumbers. Oh no! Luigi! They're on the trail of a kidnapped princess and a mystical meteorite. It's incredible! That gives anyone who possesses it the power to rule the universe. Get me the rock! They must rescue the princess. Luigi! Alien species escaping. And make it safely back. Later, alligator. To our world. Are you alright? Before time runs out. Mario Brothers. This ain't no game. That is the best response to this movie, by the way. Movie. What? Yep, pretty much. Super Mario Brothers, the movie. It was released in 1993. It is based very loosely on the Mario video game series, which is created by Nintendo. And the film was directed by a combo husband and wife team of directors, Rocky Morton and Annabelle Jankel. And the screenplay was written by Parker Bennett, Terry Runt, and Ed Solomon. It is important to note that most of the games up to this point were like arcade games and arcade ports to consoles with 
some of the Super Mario World and Land games that had come out. And like all of the spin-off sports stuff. Yeah, so the Mario franchise began in the mid-80s primarily as a series of arcade cabinet games that were made by Nintendo. Mario the character's first appearance was actually in Donkey Kong in 1981. Jumpman. As Jumpman. He was referred to as Mario in a lot of the international promotional material and so they officially changed his name to mario in subsequent games including mario brothers not super mario brothers which was the next arcade cabinet game that featured mario as the main character along with his brother luigi who was created as the second player character just as a palette swap of the mario sprite he doesn't get taller than mario till later this is actually where we see some of the stuff that carries over into the movie adaptation because this game is specifically set in new york in the sewers under New York City. With weird turtles. Yes. So this is where we start to see some of the adaptational elements leaking into the movie. Uh, It is also worth noting, as far as specific games are concerned, that it was after the Mario game where he's not in the Mushroom Kingdom, but in Sarasaland, because that's where Daisy comes from. And it was before Yoshi's Island, which is the only piece of Mario backstory that kind of exists in the canon of Mario games and is just completely contradicted by this film, because it didn't exist yet. Specifically, this was right the same year that Super Mario World came out, which is a compilation that collects everything from Mario Brothers, Super Mario Brothers, Super Mario Brothers 2 in Japan, which was released in Super Mario World as the Lost Levels, because in North America and Europe, the game Super Mario Brothers 2 is actually a reskinned version of a Japanese game that had nothing to do with Mario originally. Yeah, Mar- early Mario is nuts. Anyways, Lexi, I'm going to assign a task to you right now. Yes, I'm okay. for a task. Give me, in as short a, a way as possible, the general rundown of the plot of this movie. Okay, uh, the plot of this movie, dinosaurs were wiped out, supposedly, by a giant meteor, but in truth, the, the dinosaurs were sent to an alternate universe where they evolved into what are essentially just humans. They're just people. They're, they're just people, yeah. but they're <laughs> reptiles for some reason. Okay, some of them are more reptile than others, but... In general, they're just people, but very punk, very spiky. Lots of lots of spikes, spikes everywhere, and lots of black, a lot of spikes, and a lot of really weird, kind of messy technology. But some of it's a little bit futuristic. Basically, a baby is a refugee from this other universe and is raised by nuns. But we don't see that. We just see a woman dropping the baby off with a weird crystal. At... The, the baby being an egg, to be yeah, clear. the baby is an egg, and the nuns are like totally okay with this. Yeah, and then the egg hatches into a full human baby. Well, human, yes. whatever. Uh, and then we time skip. The, we meet the Luigi brothers. They're doing their plumber <laughs> the things. The Mario brothers. <laughs> the Mario brothers. You can tell that I'm, I don't have a background in this franchise. Uh, Which is like why we want you here. It is much better if one of us knows nothing. So anyways, uh, uh, yes, the, the meet... Mario Brothers in modern New... Well, not modern, like 90s, 90s. New York. Uh, 90s New York, they eventually, they meet Daisy at a at an archaeological dig. There's a dude named, named Scapelli who is villain-coded and then never becomes relevant later in the movie, except for a brief moment, but he's not relevant. Um, there are two henchmen from King Koopa, and they steal Daisy kidnap Daisy into the parallel universe the Mario Brothers follow her and find themselves in this weird place and then basically they just 
bunch of hijinks ensue. They find out about de-evolution, which is a, a weaponized yes. thing that, like, effect that King Koopa has a device to do. The fungus in the Mushroom Kingdom <laughs> is eventually revealed to be the king. Devolve. King Koopa was a Tyrannosaurus Rex at some point. He ends up getting devolved into a puddle of goop. And everyone lives happily ever after and, and then the sequel bait <laughs> and then there's sequel bait where daisy shows up in on earth again with a gun yes so that is actually a pretty accurate rundown of what is the mario brothers movie so i guess an easy place to start is the things that are like very distinctly different than you would expect them to be based on a mario movie so lexi what do you think the plot of most mario games is Ooh, this will be fun okay uh my impression of the mario games is that there's a dude and he's trying to save princess peach from bowser yes. who i think used to be king i don't know there's some unclear connection between bowser and king koopa they might be the same no, person they called him king koopa in some of the early promotional material that's a fair yeah. like decision they made it's pretty okay. much interchangeable at this point okay and uh you run and jump and hit a bunch of things and uh there are piranha plants and pipes and water levels and cloud levels and basically you just collect the coins and save peach and maybe buy some upgrades from toad yeah there's mushroom people and there's mushrooms that you use to get big and small and invincibility stars and a lot of jumping that's mario yeah that is yes the common understanding of mario so the peach daisy thing the peach daisy thing okay so princess peach has for most of the franchise and especially in the early stuff with the exception of donkey kong where the damsel in distress is a completely different character pauline pauline princess peach is the princess of the mushroom kingdom who is very often kidnapped by bowser or king koopa who is this dinosaur turtle kind of creature yeah the cute. truth yeah <laughs> The, cho the choice to make it dinosaurs is, is like weird, but, but like vaguely understandable. Fair. You can kind of see where they would get that idea from. And yeah, Mario goes on a quest in each game to rescue Princess Peach. Daisy was introduced in a spin-off game for the Game Boy. Yeah. So instead of going to the Mushroom Kingdom, in this game, he's going to Sarasaland, I believe is what it's called, which is a terrible name. I'm sorry, fans of that game. Sarasaland is nothing. Uh, and I, th I think the villain in that one is like a big frog monster named Wart. Hmm. So the thing about Daisy though is that Daisy is Luigi's love interest and has been since that game. Okay, yes. that makes sense. So the reason they did Daisy and not Peach is because John Leguizamo was Luigi and Luigi was like the younger, more attractive character and John Leguizamo was kind of like a stud at the time. Like people thought he was hot. I can and see so, that. He was kind I of... Mean, he's not he it's was kind of that. He kind of leered in that movie, which made me really uncomfortable. But that's fair. Like it's 90s. yeah, like at the time he was kind of like he was in that Romeo and Juliet movie with Leonardo DiCaprio. He was like a teen idol a little bit, not like super hard, but he was in that camp. Okay. So they gave him the love arc in the movie by like making Daisy the princess and changing like very little else as far as that's concerned, which is weird. Like she's got Peach's color scheme. Daisy yeah. is all in yellow. Like you play a lot of Smash. You know Daisy is the yellow one. Well, I think of her as like the dark hair. That's yeah. all I've She's really the got. brunette. Yeah. Yeah. She's the brunette. She wears yellow. I mean her color scheme is essentially Daisy. It's just a palette yellow. swap. Yeah. yeah. Daisy is a palette swap. Uh she's like slightly better in the sports games. That's like the only thing that I know about. Yeah. Her. In later games they differentiated her more. Like they changed her hairstyle and tweaked some of the other parts of her design to make her more distinct. But the other weird yeah. thing is that Mario does have a girlfriend in this movie. Yeah. But it's that was 
it's not weird. Pauline. It's not Peach, and it's not Pauline. So Pauline is the chick in Donkey Kong that you're saving, and she's the mayor in Mario Odyssey. She's the, like, brunette, kind of, like, sexier-dressed one. You know, she looks almost exactly like Mario's girlfriend in this movie. Yep. And they just named her Diane... What was her name again? Daniela? Yeah, I think that's right. Daniela. Why not? Pauline was... is an easier name. <laughs> She was so fairly not relevant. So yeah, she's like just kind of there. Like she's nice. Like yeah. no, I'm not gonna give this movie this. The movie's not terribly sexist. Yeah, for the most part. Like it's mostly bad. fine. It's got some rapey moments near the end, but that's yeah. from the villain. So you know, it's okay, I guess. I mean, we just gotta make him look bad. It's it's fine. Yeah. <laughs> Literally make him look bad uh... with the, like lizard face. <laughs> So, uh, I wish they'd done uh, more with that. So here's something real wild about this movie that it, like, I learned from the very opening credits. Alan Silvestri does the score for this movie. The score for this movie is wild. Do you know who Alan Silvestri is, Lexi? I don't. I Not off the top of my head, no. He does like the Avengers stuff. He oh, did wow. the like, Back to the Future theme. He's like a good composer. Yeah, he's a very good composer. Was this like I before don't... he broke out or something? Oh, no. Because it was after Back to the Future. Like, okay. He started his career in like the mid 70s. Yeah, so and... like, he was a known quantity. Yeah, so by 1993, he'd already done stuff like Back to the Future and Predator and Who Framed Roger Rabbit. Which is a much better movie than this with Bob Hopkins. So, so it's like, it's wild that this is what he turned out for this movie, but. I mean, I don't know what the like working conditions for the Super Mario Brothers movie were like for the composer. To be fair, I think that though, like the movie itself took itself fairly seriously, and I think like he would have been watching it to to add the score, and probably was just like, I don't know what's going on here. I'm gonna just do whatever. Yeah, like it's yeah. hard to blame a man for not being able to make compelling music for this thing, right? That's hilarious because the like the the melody, the, the like theme for the Mario Brothers is this weird like it's it's got lots of horns and it's very like kind of bouncy which is like kind of makes sense conceptually since the whole thing with the mario brothers is that they jump like that's the whole thing with mario that's his yeah. whole power set is based around jumping it's got great thighs uh, but like the the tone of that track just doesn't really match with anything else like the visual tone of the rest of the movie is so like dark and weird that it, it clashes so heavily so yeah everything about this movie is weird weird if that hasn't come across quite yet like what although i do like some of the weirdness and we can get into that at some point um. yeah let's talk about things we like about this movie actually because i don't hate this movie like a lot of people do like a lot of people think this is the worst thing ever and i i disagree there is a lot to like in this movie yeah so okay aside from the weird pixel like land before time <laughs> thing that happens at the very beginning of the movie yeah, i'm gonna describe this real quick the okay. opening of this movie is like a philip CDI game level like pixel art depiction of death of the dinosaurs like voiceover describing how the dinosaurs died and explaining that alternate universes are a thing this scene could be entirely cut from the movie and nobody would be confused because they describe how this movie works like seven times it's so often it's like hey did you know we're in a parallel universe did you know we're in a parallel universe hey, my favorite is there's a parallel like, the, universe yeah my favorite is like at the climax of the movie where they realize that nobody's actually explained this to to the Mario Brothers yet and so yeah. while they're running to stop the meteor from opening the portal Daisy is like and so yeah it's gonna open a portal to an alternate universe <laughs> 
it's like, and it's like one line because at this point we as the audience more than know this but like somehow the protagonists haven't figured it out and like they set it up at like very early on like in in the mario brothers home uh luigi is watching a show called miraculous world which is basically the twilight zone but it's like twilight zone mixed with like those like bad magazines you can pick up that are like that boy found in local karaoke bar or whatever yeah exactly and they're just like hey what if parallel universes exist and that's just kind of going on in the background of the entire scene where we find the luigi the mario brothers and then they just keep saying it yeah like i don't know maybe like 90s audiences were kind of dumb about this kind of stuff because like that is a thing to remember that this was in the 90s i and, feel like, like i feel like marvel had been around though for long enough that they people would understand parallel universes the twilight zone was uh, a thing. no was it... but like twilight zone was like just like short stories basically right and yeah and comic books were super niche like they were not that popular i think like there is this definite like huge boom in science fiction that we kind of forget happened in like the early aughts where people just get sci-fi stuff now that they super did get like 20 Mm. years ago like the matrix everybody talks about how like confusing the matrix is the matrix is so not confusing yeah yeah i mean at the time one of the things that everybody talked about with the matrix is how hard it was to follow but it's really it's a very straightforward narrative yeah Yeah. and like now audiences understand understand that kind of story but i guess at the time it was just something that people hadn't been as exposed to before yeah like we're only a few years out at this point from like interstellar and people were confused by interstellar like i wasn't but like people were that's fair so i think maybe we're being a bit harsh but like i still think just because of how narratives work people understood before like the climax what was going on yeah they the, the movie definitely treated the audience like they didn't know what was going on and like other thing about the very opening that gets me is like it's got very similar stared up present or the like starting premise is very similar to the worst Pixar movie The Good Dinosaur oh wow or the second worst it's like a really not a good Pixar movie where the premise is also what if the meteors didn't kill the dinosaurs but they were allowed to evolve only in The Good Dinosaur humans also evolve alongside them and it's only like a little while into their civilization so they're just like normal ass dinosaurs with farming it's really weird so anyways you were saying you liked something about besides the like crappy opening yeah uh right things that i liked about this movie i actually really enjoyed the world building like i don't have any yeah i don't have any so like attachment to the mario games and so i wasn't upset by any adaptation they did they had this like weird 90s dystopia punk thing and with all this weird technology they've got cars that drive by they're powered by um like rails electric rails above them mm-hmm. and they don't have brakes except when it's plot relevant for them to have brakes which happens exactly <laughs> once at the end of the movie whatever um yeah the rules of the cars are really unstable but the cars themselves are neat yeah uh and then i don't know just the aesthetics were just very very good and the whole like we can evolve and devolve people was fun and also just like there are sometimes just dinosaurs running around like yoshi uh, yeah yoshi's just like a dinosaur <laughs> yeah who i'm definitely gonna have some opinions on later um i like yoshi a lot but oh, yeah. I, I do too i will we'll talk about yoshi we'll, we'll get into some of that stuff yeah uh, a little bit later so yeah i agree that the world building in this is like surprisingly good like uh the thing about the cars and why everything runs on electricity and it doesn't like get spelled out like a lot of the stuff does but they're having a resource shortage probably because in this universe the dinosaurs don't die so there isn't as much fossil fuels oh that makes a lot of sense i didn't think about it that way yeah Uh. so everything runs on crap electricity yeah they i wonder if 
they do anything with the garbage because they have like huge amounts of trash that they just like dump places i wonder if they're doing anything power wise with that or if they're just sad yeah like also <laughs> everything is a desert outside of the one city which is like kind of like how mario has a lot of desert worlds but mostly it's just like this kind of dystopic thing that i think was really common in the 80s and 90s around urban spaces because there was a lot of wow cities suck a lot right now going around mm. like this wasn't probably long after like escape from new york and Escape from L.A., which were, like, movies about how cities are just dystopias. I, I actually kind of interpreted the city as being... So, obviously, the meteor is in that city. I, I kind <laughs> of interpreted the city as, like, this is where the meteor hit, and that's all All of that part was of the world was sucked into this planet, and then nothing else was on this planet. It was oh, that's just this also place. A, that's a totally fair interpretation, too, that this is the only, like, life, because it's the only part of the universe that really exists when it was split from the meteor crash also yeah. conceptually a meteor crash causes an alternate universe is not a bad concept yeah it's kind of neat they talked a little bit about the composition of the meteor i think they set it up as iridium which also never became relevant again yeah i've got to make a like mild very silly nitpicky point here this was before they actually knew where the meteor fell that killed the dinosaurs we do know where that is now it was the gulf of mexico that makes sense so so if they reboot this movie it has to take place in mexico city is all i'm saying there's you these know, two italian plumbers living in mexico city i'd watch that that, yeah. Anything you like about this movie, Nathan? Uh, there's there's actually a lot of stuff I like about this movie. In particular, like there is a lot of uh, stuff to appreciate with the like special effects and production design. The reviews for this movie weren't positive, but the one thing that a lot of people agreed on was that like for 1993, a lot of the effects design and production work was actually like really cutting edge. And I mean, Yoshi in particular, apparently, uh, this is something that I came across when I was looking up this movie uh, 1993 was also when jurassic park was mid-production and there was like a team of artists from the jurassic park production that actually came to the super mario brothers set to look at the yoshi puppets oh wow because wow. they were so impressively designed they wanted to take a look at them and see how they worked i mean yeah we're, we're gonna talk about yoshi now so uh, near <laughs> the end of the movie well like two-thirds of the way into the movie daisy is captured she's in koopa's like world trade center lair which is really weird yeah. He's kind of designed like the dungeons in the Mario games, like interiorly, which is actually a really cool production design element. Like all of the spikes and stuff are kind of like a dungeon, but like art deco. Yeah, there were a lot of like interesting level design aspects of the movie that I appreciated. Even yeah. like an ice level type of thing, but anyway. Yeah. So he, there, she's trapped in this like tower and there is Yoshi, who was apparently the royal pet before all of the crap went down in the world. And he's just like a tiny raptor who like has the attitude of a dog, basically. He's so cute. He's really cute. And his like nostrils move, which is super impressive. And his eyes, like he looks way more alive than you expect him to. And he moves way more naturalistically than you'd expect. Like he's by far the best looking thing in this movie. I don't mind that he doesn't look like Yoshi because he looks great. Do you want to take a guess at who did the production design in this movie? I don't know. Is it the Muppet guy? Uh, no. no. Okay. Um, it's actually uh, the guy who did the production design on Blade Runner. Huh. Okay, that makes sense because it's cyberpunky. Yeah, David Snyder. Uh, he won an Academy Award for his art direction on Blade Runner. 
that's a movie I still have to see. Yeah, be prepared for that one. It's a lot. I mean, I really like Blade Runner, but it's a lot. Yeah. Uh, but it makes sense. They do look surprisingly similar. It's weird how cyberpunk the Super Mario Brothers movie is, considering there's like no computers or technology. It's not about Whoa. any of that. Yeah, there was one computer and it's in your car. Yeah, there's <laughs> Yeah. There's some Yeah, like technology exists, but only like peripherally as it would exist in any world. It's not about that at all. And but it's so cyberpunk. Yeah. All right, uh, on that note, I'm going to ask a question to you guys. Are either of you familiar with Max Headroom? I am aware of Max Headroom. This was I... like a 90s TV thing. Yeah. I, I did he, was he the one who like took over that channel the one time? Oh, that was like somebody dressed as Max Headroom. Okay. But Max Headroom. It's like a weird like CG yeah. video thing. It's like this satiric sci-fi show that ran in the late 80s and it's about this dystopic future where like TV networks run the world basically. The oh, so creators... our, our reality. Yeah, yeah it's, essentially. It's just the Disney company. Uh, the creators oh. of Max Headroom are the directors of the Super Mario Brothers movie. What? Yeah. What was, I guess, like, in the 90s, the thought was, oh, you have some vague understanding of computers, therefore you must do the video game movie. Well, it's actually a little bit more, it makes a little bit more sense than that, because the initial initial pitch for this movie, the the earliest version of it was completely different, but by the time they got into, like, pre-production and were actually gearing up to shoot the movie, the idea was to make a, like, satiric, weird, dark comedy in the vein of movies like Ghostbusters. Like, that was the idea for this movie when they were about to start shooting. Okay, okay I can see that. Yeah, that makes sense to me. It's it's not that. <laughs> it's not that. But, but I can structured see that. like it. Like, yeah, it like, has that I can structure. See, I can understand a lot of the tone problems better if it's it had a tone and then we scrapped most of the script and had to build around what we already had. Yeah, it's it's one of those cases where, like, the, the further they went through production, the more some of the executives started to get nervous about the, like, angle they were going with it. So they eventually like had to fight their way through a bunch of like studio mandated reshoot, and then it just kind of got hacked apart and put back together as it exists now. It's weird that I now want the director's <laughs> cut of the Super Mario Brothers movie. Yeah, I mean, it sounds like there was, I don't know if it would have been good, but it sounds like there was some like genuine vision behind what they wanted this movie to be. I mean, you can tell that there's genuine vision because nobody would put this much effort into world building, production design, and like a lot of the references are like, they're really weird in the context of the movie as they are, but there's so many of them that it's like, it can't be accidental. So like, really random one here. The cabs are called Wrigglers. Oh, interesting. Which is a Mario villain. It's those like yellow wormy guys that like you have to jump on their heads. I hadn't even noticed that. No, like it's a little subtle one or like the bar is run by Big Bertha who is like a reference to a fish enemy who like has a thing for Mario in some of the games. And they're like, the boots are thwomp boots. Which, like, yeah, thwomps are yeah, a yeah. thing. Uh, there was a, a bar or something, a big neon sign that was, like, bullet bills. Like, it was a, a bar. Yeah. So, yeah. like, there's too much stuff here for it not to have been, like, made really intentionally and with purpose. Mm-hmm. Like, it's not like the Sonic movie, which is upcoming <laughs> at time of recording. Or like it's just Hop, but with Sonic. Hop is the other like James Marsden movie where he's with a CG animal because he's done this before. Yeah. Um, where you could just switch out anything with Sonic and the movie would be basically the same. It's it's not like that. It's very particularly Mario, but in a way that it's almost unrecognizable. 
I, I think uh, an interesting reference to, well, hmm. I don't know. They're in the movie, they keep showing the bombs. They're just kind of yes. there until the very end of the movie when, and, and when you finally see one go off, on its foot is Reebok. Reebok sponsored yeah. this movie. This is the wildest that thing. And it's so, so late wild. into the movie, and there's like no product placement before then, as far as I can remember. It's so weird. <laughs> Reebok. Reebok. Like, it's not even wearing shoes. Yeah, it's just the the Reebok logo, like name on a plastic toy. But like it's also an actual explosive. Like yeah. this is this is how the nineties were. Companies didn't mind that their like na- brand names were being associated with like weapons of mass destruction. Like, wow, did two thousand one change a lot of things? Because yeah. that would not slide now. <laughs> Yo, the Twin Towers were in that movie. Yeah, the Twin yeah. Towers are in this movie. Koopa's Tower is literally Literally the Twin Towers. With like a piece missing. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I know that's only weird because like none of us were really around to like experience culture with the Twin Towers, but like it's so weird now. Yeah. Oh, like in terms of intentional like villain coding, can we talk about how Koopa is a fascist? Yes, he was literally a Nazi. Literally a dictator. Like they call him a dictator a few times. He's also got that weird freak quality it's supposed to be a like elitism thing but it just seems like the dude's a fascist and also has obsessive compulsive disorder yeah well like Uh, the the goombas wear these like very military style uniforms that have they have like this logo patch that's associated with koopa where it's like a fist gripping like two bolts of lightning yeah it's very ss yeah Yeah. Um, like way, not quite at the end of the movie, but like before the whole climax sequence where, you know, they fight Koopa, there's like a, in, totally in passing, um, some, I think Goomba or just like henchmen who's not a Goomba just like are walking past each other and they just say, hail Koopa and like raise their arm and it happens exactly once. It's, I feel like the people on the set were aware of this, like, yeah, but, and by that point in the reshoots were probably being like stupid about it, even though I'm sure at first this was like intentional and intelligent at some point in time. I also think it's interesting as a commentary on fascism that the like foot soldiers of the regime are literally subhuman. Yeah. (laughs) They're They're like, they're just idiots. They're devolved. They're so dumb. Their heads are so tiny and they're so tall. Also easily destructible by music. Yeah, they they they're defeated by the power of waltz. Yeah. <laughs> like those those are actually like really interesting props too. And apparently they were the, the Goombas were supposed to be just like background figures in the movie, but they made them way more prominent just because the like the the puppets looked so good. Oh, they're they really had to, they had to put them on screen more to showcase that. Which like it's yeah, they, the the design is kind of weird when you think about them as supposed to be Goombas, or if you think of them as a devolved dinosaur. Yeah. They don't make that. a lot of sense on any level, but they're really interesting. Yeah, like, as, as practical effects, they actually do look very good. There's also yeah. this weird thing with the Goombas where most of them have that, like, round flat face thing, but every now and then in group shots and in the background, there are ones that are just dinosaurs. Yeah, they just yeah. have pointy faces. Yeah, it, and, like, they're never explored. They're just there, and they seem equally stupid, but they're just not involved. <laughs> like, which makes me think that they just didn't actually have that many of the Goombas made. Mm. Yeah. Then that maybe the other ones were, like, other props that they re created to make Bill and Koopa shots, but I don't know. I wasn't there. Obviously, I wasn't born yet. So do we want to talk a little bit about like the opening section? Because this movie doesn't start in the Mushroom Kingdom. It starts in like normal New York. Yeah, it took forever to get to the Mushroom Kingdom. Yeah, actually. it takes a while to get there. It takes, yeah. So, so, like, so the F- villain in the opening section, uh, Sp- 
his name? Spinelli? Or... Scapelli. Scapelli. He's like a rival plumber, except corporate or something. Yeah, his, the New York villain is the threat of, like, big business taking out small family companies. <laughs> but he's also kind of coded as, like, a mafia guy. Yeah, he's yeah. definitely, like, his company, like, takes out the pipes in the archaeological dig and, like, threatens people's lives like not what plumbers do he also gets like driven around in like a a limo with like blacked out windows and he's like always flanked by like guys Two in bodyguards suits. Yeah. yeah it's it's this interesting contrast between good italians and bad italians <laughs> <laughs> yeah this like massive corporate entity with it's like threatening the like livelihood of, of the, the innocent people and then this like scrappy working class plumbers from from new york that are just trying to get by <laughs> i've got to actually put in another positive here i actually think the chemistry between most of the main characters is really strong most of the cast is really good like with the exception of some of the like background villain characters like i don't think uh spike and iggy are are very good and they like, oh oh interesting i loved spike and iggy okay. yeah i i actually thought uh king koopa was probably the weakest actor in the movie yeah, he's a lot yeah dennis hopper's performance is a little bit weird I, and I thought that the chemistry between Luigi and Daisy was just kind of like forced. It I didn't like it. I don't know. I mean, I feel like Daisy is stronger when she's talking to literally any human than when she's on her own talking to non-humans because she her lines get increasingly less well-read. I just think she as a character is more likable when she's talking to Luigi than anybody else. Maybe that's, that's fair. Why. That's fair. That makes sense. I keep going about Iggy because I, I, I didn't really like them, but I want to hear why you do. So Iggy and Spike had this like really weird dynamic they were very gay for each other it <laughs> and um like at first they were complete idiots big dumbass energy um but then in it somewhere in the middle of the movie they end up being evolved so that by king koopa so that they can uh do better at capturing um capturing the plumbers um but like they and they just switch on a dime i i was actually impressed by like the range it's like where total idiots and now we're just suddenly brilliant except also stupid high yeah, intelligence like, modifier very low wisdom modifier still yeah they're still horrifyingly incompetent they're just like more articulate yeah and i just i just enjoyed that i could see that yeah, i can totally get behind that's, that that's totally fair uh, honestly the chemistry i thought was the best wasn't actually daisy and luigi though it was mario and luigi i think they read as yeah. like a sibling pair where one of them had to take care of the other like I, that relationship reads to me yeah they bob, treat bob each hoskins other well. and john Leguizamo are like very good as this like older brother little brother like pair the way they like bicker back and forth is actually really good yeah I mean, like you're the only one who has that relationship to tell me about it i mean that's fair i have literally no siblings i mean i, I have, have brothers but i, I have am girl. four of them wow so which of your brothers is the mario and which of them is luigi oh um that's a good question um <laughs> i mean if we're just going oldest and youngest i guess it's oh josh and brandon oh wait josh and zach josh and zach yeah, it works. Anyways, this is very inside baseball all of a sudden. So let's talk more about things we like. Nathan, it's your turn. Say a thing you like. <laughs> Say a thing I like. I like that in Koopa's palace, the throw pillows on the couch are covered in spikes. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's like a hilariously great moment of production design because it's so completely impractical. But like, yeah, I believe that Koopa would actually have that decor in his house. <laughs> 
You gotta give Koopa this. He is, like, consistent with his, like, aesthetic. Like, that's a thing that fascisms also often is good at, is having a consistent aesthetic. It's terrible, but it is consistent. Oh, yeah, I mean, it, um, just jumping off of that, I mean, I, I, this is, I mean, that was more of a joke, but I, I, I genuinely do like the production design of Koopa's palace because it's it's taken the uh, elements of the, like, dungeon design in the games with the, like, stone walls and spikes and it's, and, like, torches on the walls and it's created this, like, kind of modern, like, brutalist version of that mm-hmm. with these, like, the walls are these, like, not stone, but they're this, like, gray metal with these, like, spiked points at all of the corners and these, like, the lights look like uh, like torch sconces, but they're just, like, modern electric light. Mm. Yeah, it's a good and, like, they, Yeah, they've done some really cool stuff with, like, how they represented some of the aesthetics of the game in the movie. Um, so, yeah, I liked that. I also, another thing that surprised me about this movie when I was thinking about it, this movie passes the Bechdel test. Oh yeah, we we noted that when we were watching it. It does. Daniela and oh um, yeah, Daisy talk, and also Big Bertha talks quite a bit. And the uh, I think the Brooklyn girls don't have names, but they also talk quite a bit. Like um, there's also a conversation between Lena, who's Koopa's like henchwoman, right. and uh, Daisy. Yeah. Daisy. Yeah. So there's like several named characters who are women who do things in this movie there's a lot of women being kidnapped but there's also like women doing things yeah so that's like surprising lena goes off on her own to do her own villainous thing it doesn't work out at all but yeah she's just like eh king koopa whatever like yeah it seems like her motivation at the beginning is gonna be like all like i just want to impress this man and then she's like screw it i'm gonna go take over the world and and prove that i'm good enough on my own uh big bertha seems to be a successful crime lord yeah i love big bertha and that that bar i don't know if the directors knew that that was a gay bar but everyone there knew that it was a gay bar Oh, I kept absolutely. looking in the background like, are we sure that none of these couples are gay? Because like, <laughs> there's got to be at least one of them, right? right? I had the same thought. I was like, I, I kept looking for like same-sex couples dancing in the in the group shots because there's like, there's just so many people there, and the aesthetic is just it's so Queerest, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it's it's very fun. I'm also very fond of a little old lady who starts warning them about how dangerous the city yeah. is and attempts to rob them. <laughs> Pulls out a gun. That was incredible. Also, she That's a very good moment. She definitely just died. Like they she gets thrown off a balcony or something onto a, a car. Like she isn't dead because almost no one dies in that movie, but she died. That lady's dead now. Oh, yeah. And the people who do die, die kind of horrifyingly. Yeah. yeah. This is a thing I want to talk about for a bit. So let's go over the deaths in this movie. So we talked about King Koopa. He gets melted into goo. Like, yeah, they use these portable de-evolution guns to uh, shoot Koopa at the end of the movie. And he starts turning into a T-Rex. And then he just, like, melts into primordial slime. (laughs) Which is pretty horrifying. Yeah. This is a thing in kids' movies, we've noticed, where, like, because the deaths are not realistic, they're surprisingly gory. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Lena's, I think, is the most dramatic of that this. That one's so messed she, up. So before she even dies, she gets horrifyingly electrocuted. Um, and then later, she gets, like, because she is not capable of, like, combining the meteorite and bringing the worlds together, she gets, like, exploded into a skeleton and permanently fused into a rock wall. Ugh. <laughs> And then Luigi makes a one-liner about it. Yeah. yeah. They're just like, and okay. And Daisy is like, maybe not. <laughs> 
like Daisy's like, that's not appropriate, but I'm not gonna like bother you about it because we've got bigger things to deal with. Yeah. Or like, oh my god, this movie. Oh, and then arguably a uh, kind of a death, not really, but arguably a death is Scapelli. It's turned into a chimp. <laughs> like he, they literally show. So the meteorite and the piece of the meteorite that used to be on Daisy's uh, necklace are combined, and for a moment, everyone like teleports to like they the worlds fuse, and suddenly King Koopa and the Mario Brothers are facing down at, in the middle of New York, and Scapelli is just there, and he gets zapped with a de-evolution gun, turned into a chimp, and then everyone just leaves again because Luigi and Daisy unfuse the worlds, and, like, that's the entirety of Scapelli's plotline. He's a villain, except now he's not relevant anymore and never was. And if he actually is a part of the mob, like, respectulating, there's the weirdest power vacuum ever. I guess a chimp can't be the head of the mob. I would watch that movie, though. Yeah? Bob Chimp. The mo- the, the the chimp father. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yes. Yes, and his, like, enforcers are all smaller capuchin monkeys. It's very good. Um, yes, so all of that stuff is interesting. Uh, I'm going to get into some, like, adaptational choices I like a lot less. I don't like Toad. Toad is really annoying. <laughs> like, I know I'm supposed to, like, feel bad for Toad, but he's less annoying as a Goomba, so... <laughs> yeah, oh yeah, Toad gets turned into a Goomba almost immediately after meeting him. Also, Toad is just a random street hippie with a weird haircut. Like, yeah. he gets... I, I don't disagree with his points, but, like, maybe just, like, angrily singing protest songs about your actual fascist dictatorship is not the way to approach that problem. Uh, he gets turned into a Goomba because he's a protest singer. <laughs> they, give him a, and, uh, they give him a harmonica to differentiate him from the rest of the Goombas. Like, why would they even do that? Like, as an evil regime why yeah that's like it's it's not even like he has the thing on when he gets de-evolved he's like given it by one of the goombas yeah also he is differentiated uh this is a nice element his head coloring is the same as his dumb haircut yeah which is just a spiral like shaved into his hair from the like top of his head out it's supposed to be like the dots on a toad but it's not yeah it's weird um toad is the main thing that i was like no thank you as far as characters are concerned which i think we've talked about most of the characters at this point yeah i think we've covered a lot of them king koopa's a weird fascist mario is good luigi's fine oh wait i was gonna talk about how luigi has a magic power of anything that he thinks is a good idea is oh yeah he's got magic intuition yeah he's got like a 900 percent luck like he doesn't need to know anything he just has to have the feeling there is this character thread throughout the movie where um kind of x-files style uh luigi is presented as like the believer who is like always ready to believe the uh the impossible and mario is the skeptic yeah like that's supposed to be mario's art he's the very practical one who is always trying to like solve these problems the most like logical way that he can find which is plumbing every single time and it works usually (laughs) <laughs> I mean, it is also kind of contradictory with the whole Luigi is a coward and Mario is the one who can accomplish things traits. Like, these are two sets of, like, personality traits that don't really work that well together, but whatever. Oh, Luigi's arc is that he can talk to women by the end. Yeah. yeah. He starts off very, very awkward, and by the end he is, like, confidently asserting his uh, himself and 
telling the, the kidnapped women how to escape. Which, like, I do appreciate it. No point is any of them being a sexist jerk about anything. Like, awkward Luigi is just awkward, and confident Luigi is just confident. He's not, like, a player all of a sudden. Right. Yeah. Oh, yeah, we're going to talk about that club scene again, because I have notes on it, and I forgot to mention it earlier. This just a stripper. Yeah. Yes. A stripper in, like, a dinosaur tail. Well, I, I, I have some stuff to say about how, like, oh my God, how that was cut from, like, stuff that was cut from the movie. Please. All right. So we talked about how this movie was originally subversive, dark comedy, kind of in the vein of, like, Ghostbusters. So apparently they did film all the stuff they wanted to, the directors, even though they had to, like, fight with the studio about reshoots and stuff. Actually, at one point, one of the directors, Rocky Morton, was locked out of the editing room room by the studio he had to go to the director's guild and get them to make the production let him into the editing room so that he could be called film daddy uh, yeah (laughs) so that he could get his his um opinion that sucks yeah i really actually genuinely want the director's cut of this movie like i know it's not gonna happen but like i feel bad for these people now like they clearly had a plan but yeah originally they had all of the stuff that they wanted to shoot that was like a lot more explicit i don't think it was like super explicit but there were like there were like actual stripper scenes in the club and it was supposed to be a lot darker and a little bit more oriented towards like parents of people who play Mario more so than like the like yeah. 8 to 12 year olds that would have been the target audience for the games. The weird thing is I almost <laughs> feel like that movie would like the thing that they're trying to do would do better now because everyone's grown up with Mario and yeah. they're ready for something like that whereas like I don't know like the audience doesn't seem like an audience actually because it's mm-hmm. got too many specific references that parents wouldn't get. Yeah and like a, a part of the whole like satire of it was that it was supposed to be like because this this alternate universe is is, like dominated by reptiles it's this like aggressive like instinct based society and that's why it's so like dark and violent yeah i don't know but it is good to know that dinosaurs have an equivalent to furries <laughs> oh yeah yeah can, can we can we talk about the scaliness of this movie it's very it's like not as scaly as i think it should be to be completely honest like there are background characters with like scale faces and stuff that i think one look more interesting than just these are humans in ugly outfits yeah and like two like i know it would be expensive to do but like it would make the movie look way more interesting if that's what the people look like mm-hmm. except for like the royal family who look like humans and then like that's why daisy is special i mean they're derived from fungus or whatever apparently no they're what? they're not though they're all dinosaurs because she was hatched from an egg right Right, she was hatched from an egg but her father is turned into fungus i think that's just like the way that koopa was devolved he turned into slime like hmm. they just devolved the king into a point where he was a mushroom okay that's we, that we haven't talked about this that's not how evolution works no it's no, not <laughs> quick quick tirade uh, none of the like systems of evolution work <laughs> like the way it does like this is peak 90s bad understanding of evolution going on here. Uh, one, if something evolved to be like that much like a human, it would probably have live birth. There's a reason why live birth is a thing. Like, and eggs aren't. Yeah. For humans. Like, it's not just an arbitrary thing. Also, Those like, eggs are huge. 
Yeah, the egg is ludicrously huge, considering, like, we know how big the human, like, women are that are supposed to be producing those eggs. Like, that's wild to think about. I don't like that at all. No, it's not a good thing to think about. Yeah, no, evolution isn't a, like, straightforward back-and-forth line from primordial sludge to human-shaped thing. It's a branching path of things that allow you to survive. Yeah. So, like, no, <laughs> none of this. But yeah, we should talk about fungus. Fungus. Lexi, do you have any thoughts on the massive amount of fungus in this movie? Uh, I, I mean, there's fungus everywhere, and it's the king, I guess, who is helping them out a little bit. I don't have a whole lot of thoughts about fungus, honestly. It's really weird, though. It is like a choice. Yeah, <laughs> the fungus in this movie, I mean, the directors talk about it as taking the mushroom element from the game and turning it into more of a metaphor. And what? Like, yeah, what? I, I, don't, I don't know. Um, but apparently this was a thing that started in the earliest versions of the script and then just kept changing as it went on until yeah. they ended up to where it is now, which is there's this crawling fungus that is spread through the entire city that it happens to also be the devolved king. I feel like if there was more of a, like, visible resistance to Koopa, the mushroom would be, like, a kind of symbolic element of even under fascism, the memory of justice remains. Yeah, but, like, but, like there's no resistance. Except, yeah. for, no. except for in, like... Except for Toad! <laughs> Toad and, like, Iggy and Spike, apparently. There's a... Yeah, like, there's they a... changed their mind later. Yeah, yeah. They, they claimed that they had been with the king all the, the whole time. Which I was like, I, is, is that true? I don't because because of how like messy Iggy and Spike's plotline was, and just like how it was immediately dropped after that, I didn't know whether to believe them or not. Yeah, it's it's, it's like crazy. Also, everyone is jazzed when Koopa gets killed. There is no support for Koopa, but there is also like no resistance. Yeah, which is like yeah. fair. That is a thing that happens under fascism. This isn't a complaint. It's just like weird. Uh, elements from Mario get put into this thing. Like, the mushroom thing. Like, hey, we need to have mushrooms. I guess the like ice sledding ski scene is supposed to be like pipes. Hmm. Yeah, like they freeze the plumbing in the tower and then yeah. they escape by like sliding through the frozen pipes. Yeah, there's this like plot point where they're like, we're going to freeze the dinosaurs out while we'll do things. So they turn off the heating and it doesn't affect anybody except for people they have to save later. Yeah, which is wild because reptiles are cold blooded and losing proper heating like that would be, you know, bad. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think they even mentioned that in the movie about them being cold blooded, but it just isn't, I don't know. I'm not, I might be mixing that up. Things. No, no, they mention things yeah. that are like theoretically relevant, but aren't yeah. a lot. They do that all the time. So yeah, like there's also this yeah gaminess to the movie where it feels like elements are just levels that have to be like checked off. This is the ice level. This is the desert level. <laughs> yeah. Uh, this is the yeah. With, with that ice, with that pipe level, um, in adventure games that I'm used to, um, there's usually like a a level where you are running away from an enemy and. You're, the camera angle is towards your character and towards the enemy, and you're like trying to dodge things as yeah. they come onto your screen and like knock them into stuff. That and that level, that ice pipe scene really felt like that specifically to me. It does read like that, which is very gamey, but not very Mario, because Mario at this point was entirely side scrollers. Mm. Mm-hmm. Okay. Like this was well before '64. Yeah, '64 wouldn't be for uh, a little bit. But yeah, it's super wild. This whole movie is wild. And one of the craziest things about it, it feels like a checklist of elements from the game that they were putting into this movie. But the interesting thing about that is that Nintendo didn't interfere with this movie at all. You can tell. Yeah. They, they, <laughs> uh, the guy who owns the company that made this movie, uh, Light Motive, Roland Joff, owns Light Motive. And 
they wanted to make a Mario movie, so they went to Nintendo, and they, like, talked to the American president of Nintendo, and presented first rough draft of the uh, original, original script, which is very different from what this movie is, and then Nintendo basically said, you know what, sure, (laughs) go go ahead. This was well before anybody knew what this could do. Yeah, they, they created a creative partnership with Light Motive. Uh, to retain merchandising rights, but they didn't really care about any of the creative input on the movie. Also, because... to be clear, this company doesn't exist anymore. Yeah, yeah I've I never heard of them. <laughs> yeah. Oh, uh, it might be worth mentioning. Yeah, Light Motive doesn't exist. Uh, Hollywood Pictures, I don't think, is used anymore. But Lexi, do you want to guess what Hollywood Pictures is? Is it Disney? It's Disney! Yeah, Super Mario Brothers is technically a Disney movie. Which means my petition to make Disney Daisy a Disney princess begins now. Hashtag Princess Daisy is a Disney princess. I want her in the next Wreck-It Ralph movie. I want her in the merchandise. I want to get that really nice dress she wears because I really like that dress that she wears throughout the second half of the movie. Daisy, my new favorite Disney princess. Yeah, great. Wonderful. Mm. So yeah, Nintendo just was like, okay, sure, make a movie over there. Yeah, so, I mean, it's 1993. Nintendo has survived the video game crash of the 80s. They're in a pretty good spot. They, they didn't have really... survive it. Well, they yeah, single-handedly they... saved video games. Yes. Like, this is worth mentioning. The reason video games, well, one of the main reasons video games are still such a big deal is because Nintendo was like, well, we'll just sell them like toys. And then they like basically recreated the video game market from the ground up after Atari screwed everything over. Yeah. Wow. So 1993, they've got really good control of their brand. They're in a really good place commercially. So they sign a $2 million contract with this company to make a Mario movie. And they just say, go do whatever you want. This explains so much about Nintendo as a company because Nintendo is notoriously harsh on its brand. It's next to Disney in the camp of we don't let people touch our things. And if you do, you have to follow all of these guidelines. It's only in the last couple years that Nintendo has lightened up enough to let Mario and Rabbids happen. Well, and even now there's a new animated Mario. Mario movie in the works, and Shigeru Miyamoto is directly having input on yeah. the production of the new movie. This movie traumatized <laughs> Like this, and the like failure of the like um, Legend of Zelda CDI stuff, which was similarly terrible. The '90s is filled with all of this like, Nintendo stuff that a lot of people are fond of, like nostalgically, but is objectively really weird in comparison to the product that we know, and mostly bad. Mm. So this movie is probably the most dramatic example. So yeah, they just like let it happen. Yep. Uh, how did this movie do, Nathan? This movie... Did it make money? Well, okay, so the critical response was pretty mixed at the time. Now, if you go to Rotten Tomatoes, like today, it's sitting at like 21%, which honestly That's seems pretty... a little bit harsh. <laughs> Yeah, to me, like, this has at least cult classic kind of vibes to me. Like, I'm going to be upfront about this. We watched this high a little while ago. Oh, no. (laughs) Yeah. It's a really good movie to watch high. All right. It doesn't make any sense, but it doesn't make sense in the good way. Mm. Mm -hmm. But, like, also, it's a fun watch. Like, it's it's weird, but it's consistently entertaining. It's not boring. And I feel like boring is more of a sin than mediocre. So, hmm. Okay, so I didn't watch it high, and... No, well, that's good. I, I... We watched it sober, too, just to be clear. Okay. I When I watched it, and it might have just been because I was in, like, note-taking media critic mode, I just didn't care most of the time. Like, I didn't find it boring. I didn't think it was bad, but I just didn't... 
I wasn't riveted by it. I just was kind of like, okay, I'm watching this movie. Um, yeah, like, if you went to this movie in a theater, like, it was a random Friday night, and your friends were like, I want to go see something, nothing big is coming out, or we've seen the newest thing or whatever. This is playing, let's go. I don't think I would walk out being like, well, that was a waste of money. Yeah. I think I would walk out being like, okay, that was a fine way to spend an hour and a half. Yeah, I think I agree. I don't know, to me, that hits at least a 30. Yeah, so in answer to your question, uh, this movie did not make money. Uh, it, its budget was $48 million. Wow, oh my God. what? That's a lot in 90s money. Yeah, I mean, when you factor in just the sheer, like, the reshoots and mm. all of the trouble with the production. Oh, it's also important to note that Bob Hoskins was, like, a huge deal. Yes. Like, he's a huge actor. He's passed I mean, away this since, like, which is sad. But, yeah, like, this was just off of Who Framed Roger Rabbit, which was a big hit yeah, mm. like, at the time. Big deal. Like, yeah. huge get. Also, like, he was injured throughout a lot of the shooting and really, really high on painkillers. So uh, probably a lot of the reshoots were just, well, we can't really get Bob to do his lines right now. Uh, so, it, yeah, 48 million budget. It made 20.9 million. So it made, like, mm. not even half its budget back at the, at the U.S. box office. Youch. And I can't imagine it did well internationally. Yeah. I don't think the Japanese pro- audience probably went for this one, you know? Um, yeah, like, it, it didn't do great. Yeah, that. like, it is important to note that even, like, ignoring that it's, like, a really weird to very bad adaptation of Mario, it's also just not terribly competently put together as a film. Like, we talked a lot about the stuff we like, but, like, it's really weird plot and pacing-wise. Mm. And, like, as we mentioned, the exposition is, like, constant and overwhelming. Yeah. I felt like it wasn't, like, terribly structured. I thought it was, it was, like, they, they took all of the the points of like this is going to be a comedy action or a comedy adventure movie from the 90s and like put them together in the right order but didn't do them right there's not enough connective material i guess like or the connective material feels like it's from a different thing than the individual scenes are right Mm -hmm. so Mm -hmm. like that scene where mario has to deduce a woman yeah (laughs) okay that was adorable which is yeah it's it's funny but it's It's like a a very different breed of funny than these two guys are complete idiots and they fell in a hole yeah yeah or we're sliding down a tube on a mattress. Right. This movie is very at odds with itself, tonally. It's having an identity crisis. Yeah, it, it was actually shortlisted for a special effects Oscar. I mean, okay. that seems fair. It's, I don't know is, what it yeah, was Yeah, I mean, at the time but... it was pretty fair. This actually did a lot of things first, hmm. which is um, probably to its credit. Uh, in, in terms of special effects, like it does a lot of CGI and digital compositing stuff that wouldn't become the standard for another few years. Okay. Hey, I'm actually going to give it credit here. A lot of the compositing stuff, it looks bad by modern standards, but for the time, it's really impressive. Mm-hmm. Like the wall stuff looks crappy now, but for the 90s, it looked way better than probably a bunch of the other movies yeah. that would yeah, be attempting it. Definitely. Or the like facial morphing that happens to uh, Koopa mm-hmm. is like, it's not great by modern standards, but it's really impressive for the 90s. So like, I feel like it deserves special effects nods at the very least. Yeah. Also, I feel like we deserve a world where we have a war Oscar award winning film, Super Mario Brothers, and not Academy Award winning Suicide Squad. <laughs> Suicide Squad. Mm. Like, the makeup is way better in this than in Suicide Squad. It lost the award to The Nightmare Before Christmas, which... That's fair. That seems fair. fair. Yeah, I mean, like, that's a good year for effects, I guess. Yeah. Bad year for a lot of other things. Good year for effects. Yeah, I mean, it was mostly derided for, like, its tonal inconsistency and its narrative being deficient. I'm not sure who the... 
who the audience is. That's part of the problem is that like, oh yeah, as a result of the shift in genre and intention, it has the like humor and plotting of a movie aimed roughly at 10 year old, but the aesthetics of a movie aimed squarely at 20 somethings and adults. And also like the consistency of something made for toddlers. It's not, <laughs> it doesn't have an audience. I'm not surprised it didn't make money because I don't know who the audience is. Do you guys want to know what the, the actual like first draft idea of this movie that was pitched to Nintendo was? Go. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So the original, the, the first screenplay, uh, the one that they used for their original pitch was written by Oscar winning screenwriter Barry Morrow, who is most well known for Rain Man. So That's the... a pick. Lexi, do you know what Rain Man is? I have is? no idea what this is. Okay. Rain Man is a movie about like a sad autistic man who's very good at math. Huh. It's like Oscar bait, sad drama. It's yeah, okay. very not what you would expect. Hmm. So they actually were, in early production, they were referring to this script as Drain Man, which is oh, hilarious. No. Yeah, so it, he described this version of the screenplay as a Laurel and Hardy, Abbott and Costello style existential road trip comedy. Okay. I, I can see that. Abbott and Costello as Mario and Luigi. Okay, I'm on board. That it was like more of a dram- like more of a dramatic piece as opposed to like an example exaggerated fun comedy um interesting so that like is actually a really interesting direction to take a mario movie and i kind of i, I kind of love to see that <laughs> i'd love to see the script yeah, yeah. And i then... am so sad we don't live in a universe where like every film company is forced to be transparent with these <laughs> like i want documentaries of the making of so many movies i want so many failed scripts i need to know what's gonna happen or what has happened and i never can so that version eventually got handed off to different writers and they took it in a more traditional direction adapting the story and they were kind of angling it more toward the Wizard of Oz thing but a subversive bent to it kind of in the vein of Shrek hmm. is what they like describe their idea as somebody yeah. was told so like me a the modern... was gonna <laughs> Like a modern fairy tale adventure, but kind of twisting some of those uh, like tropes. That also could have been fine. Yeah, and then eventually it got handed down to the creators that finally did the movie, and they did this. They tried to do this weird, subversive, dark dystopian comedy, and it kind of got wrenched away from them by the studio. I can see how you transition from fairy tale, but with a twist, into let's just make that even more subversive. Mm -hmm. And I can see how it ended up the way it did as a result of why would any studio let you do that? So yeah, especially Disney. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, so we're talking, there is a new Mario movie coming out. Right. Yes, there is. Uh, it's being made by Illumination Studios, which uh, is the animation company behind, well, what everybody knows them for is the Minions. Yeah, the Despicable Me Minions. Secret Life of Pets, that kind of thing. Uh, so not the pick I would have made. We, me and Nathan have discussed this. We think uh, Warner Brothers Animation would have been the correct choice. Mm. They have some ties to Nintendo already. Universal Studios is doing the Nintendo theme parks coming up okay. uh, in Japan, and those are coming out in New York, like in North America eventually. Unclear exactly when that's happening. They've got business ties. Warner Brothers did the uh, Lego Movie and those kind of things. Those are good. Which are good, well, and also corporate. Movie. Yeah. Super corporate. Like, they're brand-pushing things. And I think if you could make a Lego movie that's halfway decent, maybe you can make a Mario movie that's halfway decent. Mm -hmm. 
but like that's not what happened so whatever <laughs> we'll live in this timeline where we're getting i choose to have hope because i don't actually hate illumination studios i think despicable me is really good i think sing was surprisingly sweethearted yeah that was cute it could be fun or maybe the toads are the next minions and i don't know what <laughs> what's gonna happen okay i'm just imagining the like over the color overlay right now and i don't like it what's <laughs> <laughs> up nonsense uh, goomba minions uh so yeah this is the state of mario cinematic universe as is uh do we have any like other things we really want to get to about this movie oh i still have some stuff i could talk about of like the early production oh my god uh lexi i kind of want to do like i don't know this is kind of silly but i kind of want to do like a ranking of like i don't know sex appeal isn't the right thing <laughs> but like a ranking of characters where Yoshi is S tier with everyone below. Yes. yes, the best characters in like whatever that means to us. Yeah. I- I'm gonna give Yoshi is the top here. Uh, yeah, what's the bottom of our scale? Uh-huh. We have a strong disagreement on the Iggy Spike thing. I feel like King I Koopa think- kind of sucks. <laughs> yeah, we're gonna put King Koopa on the bottom because he's a fascist and screw him. And apparently Dennis Hopper was just a nightmare to work with. Oh, That's no. not surprising. He sounds like the worst. Yeah. Uh, we're gonna give Scapelli slightly above Koopa because he just turned into a monkey. Okay, yeah. Mm-hmm. Sure. And that's a quality that I appreciate in a man. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, hey, Nathan, you better get on that. <laughs> I expect a gorilla suit at the wedding. No, uh, I'm just kidding. I'm not a furry. That's Lexi's territory. Hi. Alien on the podcast. Um, we're probably going to encounter some furries on this video game adventure. I'm sure it'll come up, but I'm not sure when. There has not been a Star Fox movie yet, so we can't really discuss that. Oh, no. Uh, that would be so bad. Uh, there's Ratchet and Clank, which has... Is there a Ratchet and Clank movie? Oh, right. Yes. We're going to have to talk about that oh, eventually. No. It came and went a couple years ago, and oh. nobody cared about it. I'm so well, excited. Uh, so yeah, let's go back to our character rankings. Nathan, we need your opinion. Give us a character and their like, general like level on your scale. Um. All right. So I would put Mario maybe somewhere towards the middle of the spectrum. All right. Like, uh, like uh, on the high end, so like, you know, somewhere a couple notches below the, the Yoshi area. Yeah, okay. okay. Yeah. I'm going to take a start hard stance here and say Big Bertha is number two on the list. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, Big Bertha's great. Uh, she's she's here. She's very voluptuous. <laughs> she's such a dom. She's such a dom. And Mario, was... like, mm-hmm. just switched right into sub mode once he realized that. I was like, oh, wow. <laughs> Okay, but like, let's look at his girlfriend Daniela. Mario's a bottom in this movie. <laughs> 100%. Mario and Luigi are the bottom brothers. <laughs> Neither of them are dominant. It's just that Mario's slightly more dominant than Luigi. That's the only way this relationship functions. Yeah. They're both horrifyingly incompetent men. Uh, which is gonna say, I'm also gonna give Daniela mad props. One, she's got great style. Two, like, she's weirdly chill about being kidnapped. Yeah. She's, she, like, very calm. She does take this movie in stride. Yeah, she's just yeah. like, oh, yeah, and now Daisy's here. Cool. Let's, like, talk about the situation we've landed in. I'm taking care of these kidnapped girls. How are you doing? <laughs> uh, like, mm. also, like, Mario, like, there's this trend in this movie I want to talk about where, like, the main characters don't know what's going on most of the time. Yeah. Mario doesn't know his girlfriend is there until, like, two-thirds of the way through the movie. Like, she gets kidnapped at the beginning of the movie, and nobody talks about it until she shows up later. Uh, I think Daisy, like, I think she's above the the brothers somewhere, but definitely below um, Big Bertha and Yoshi, except yes. uh, she gets improved a couple notches when she shows up with a gun. 
Yeah, she's very cool. <laughs> at the very end of the movie, when she shows up looking like Laura Croft with a gun, I'm just like, okay, but what? what is this sequel? I know we're not going to get it, but like, what was the plan here? <laughs> oh, actually. Oh my god, what was her plan? There were ideas that were floating around before this movie bombed, but uh, there is actually a, like, a webcomic sequel that oh was my made god. by some of the fans that established the okay. Super Mario Brothers movie archive, got in contact with one of the screenwriters, and were like, hey, what were you guys planning if you if you got the chance to do a sequel and he like gave them some of the notes that they had and they like put together this webcomic sequel it's like an homage to the original movie which is great so uh, thanks thanks to the super mario brothers archive people also for like tweeting at us oh yeah we were doing this we appreciate yeah but like help Uh, we appreciate that this exists because we weren't aware of it and i love this existing um i love mario accounts that don't really makes sense i follow an account on twitter that just says random things about the mario franchise every now and then and it just makes my day a little bit better uh, other characters we haven't talked about luigi i feel like luigi is just just below mario he's just there he's good yeah, yeah he's fine and then the middle to bottom section is filled with goombas and random side characters yeah mm-hmm. there aren't a t- okay what about the old lady who just starts trying to murder them or mug them the old lady gets like a special mention. She's not in the movie enough to get top place, but like she's definitely top uh, tier. Yeah, she's she's great. Uh, we've also got Iggy and Spike to talk about. Lena, Toad. All oh, right, Lena. There's she uh... was grody. I liked her actually. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like that is an accurate response to a lot of the things in this movie. It was grody. I liked it. <laughs> This is trash. Yes. To be clear, this is trash. I enjoy it because I'm a sentient raccoon. <laughs> raccoons for life. Yeah. Hashtag raccoons for life. There's Hashtag also video game movie. the fungus king who shows up for one line. Uh, yes, played by played by Lance Henriksen, who is like Bishop in the Alien movie. Oh my god, it's yeah. Bishop? Okay. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> so yeah, I guess this movie has things in common with Alien. <laughs> Yeah, they are. Sure. They do mention being <laughs> aliens because the the Mario Brothers. There's um, they're extra dimensional aliens. Yeah, yeah. Ali- alien plumber. <laughs> oh, also, so the movie ends. They get sent back to New York. Everything is fine. Uh, it's unclear whether or not they like take the time to re-evolve all of the Goombas or not. Yeah, that's not really covered. I mean, um, Daisy is power, Daisy and the King are like back in control of the kingdom. So, oh, also Daisy's mom gets fridged at the first. Oh, five oh yeah, yeah. Of this movie opening like prologue scene is like her mom dropping the egg off at the Church. convent, yeah. and then she like just gets just murdered by Koopa, who's there looking for the stone. Yeah. Also, her style is great. She's not in the movie very long, but she looks fabulous. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she has a uh, cool cloak, right? Yeah, she's got a cool cloak, and her hair is very, like, 1950s meets 1980s. It's very yeah. good. Uh, also, that opening scene was very, like, Hunchback of Notre Dame to me. Like, sanctuary! <laughs> <laughs> like, dropping your baby off at the steps of the cathedral. Uh, a li- little bit Superman. A little bit mm. Superman. I mean, the mom kind of does have that, well, in Hunchback, the, like, Romani kind of vibe to her, like, aesthetics. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, I really thought that it, Luigi or Mario were actually going to be the, the baby egg. Yes, like secretly it was a twist the whole time. No, like it, at like from the beginning, I thought, oh, Luigi or Mario or whatever, they're like one of them is the the egg baby, and then it turned out to be Daisy, and I was like, okay, but like, okay, fine. I don't know. It was weird. It's also weird that Mario and Luigi's parents are just also mysteriously dead. Yeah, 
they're orphans. Mario kind of acts as a weird father figure. Yeah, you get the sense that it was kind of like a Lilo and Nani from Lilo and Stitch situation, where like Mario was 20 when their parents died and Luigi was four. Yeah, that would make sense. He doesn't really remember what's going on. Because the way Luigi phrases it is that he never knew his parents mm-hmm. and Mario brought him up. But yeah, that would make sense if like they just their parents just died when now, Mario was This younger. is in contrast to their backstory in the games, which is... Uh, the stork accidentally dropped them. <laughs> what? Yes, okay. The, the backstory for the Mario bro- Brothers as babies... This is in Yoshi's Island, is, right? Yes, Yoshi's yeah. Island, uh, where the stork is a thing in the Mario universe, and they were taking Mario and Luigi, and also a bunch of other babies, depending on which version of the game you have, like the newer ones have like a bunch of other kids, um, to their parents, and they just, just zapped by a witch or something and dropped the babies, and the island of Yoshi's find these babies. They find Mario, and they're like, well, crap, this is a human baby. Uh, we should probably try to like take it to its parents and then yoshi like adopts mario and takes it on this journey to find its real parents oh there's a sequel so instead of being the family pet yoshi is like mario's weird godfather okay (laughs) so yeah this was made before that was in the games but like that's a thing that i thought about on occasion in this movie the fan theory that uh, Mario is actually a multi-generational series where Jumpman, the one from Donkey Kong, is Mario and Luigi's dad and Pauline is their mom. Mm. It does make sense out of some things. Yeah, and that's why Mario just leaves. It's not actually Mario just leaves his girlfriend for Peach. It's like, no, that's like Mario's son, Mario Mario. Right. Yeah. Yeah. There but, are three uh, Marios in this movie, as stated in a really dumb scene. Yes, yeah. <laughs> the, the scene where they're taken in by the cops. Also, like, that cop guy who just keeps showing up. Who is, like, there's... This is a weird element that, like, I'm sure was a leftover from the, the like, darker, like, more adult version of this movie. Is that they, they get taken into the cops, and there's, like, a, the cop that's like, handling their intake is asking for their names. The whole time he's talking, there's a woman off screen wearing high heels that is, like, massaging his shoulder. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. This movie's got, I have to assume, this movie has introduced a lot of fetishes for a lot of people. Oh, absolutely. (laughs) That's one of the things about cult movies. If it's a cult movie, somebody is only watching it to masturbate. (laughs) Every time. But there's also the weird joke in the prison with the cameras that look like guns. Yeah. That is just, like, not really connected to anything else but a thing that happens. Yeah, they think they're going to get executed by firing squad, and then it turns out it's just cameras. Kind of a dark joke. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, anything else you you were feeling very important or spicy about? Uh, there is some really interesting, like, casting genealogy I could go through. Okay, do, do describe. So, do, do you want to know the people that were originally uh, in uh, consideration for the Mario, Luigi, and Koopa roles? Because sure. there are some names. All right. So uh, Dustin Hoffman wanted to play Mario. He he okay. like expressed interest to in the production to play to play Mario. But so one of the like Japanese executives didn't think that he was going to be right for the role. They offered Danny DeVito not only the role of Mario, which that makes yeah. sense, but they also offered him the director's chair for this movie. What? Yeah. Okay. Just for background here, Danny DeVito directed like Matilda. I want to say. <laughs> So he's not, like, not a director, but, like, wow, that's a choice. Yeah. Luigi, uh, Tom Hanks was originally in consideration. No. 
Baby I refuse. Okay, yeah. maybe Baby Tom Hanks. But this was, this was 1993, and he'd had a string of box office failures, so they decided not to go with him. Uh, <laughs> I want to see the Danny DeVito-Tom <laughs> Hanks Mario movie. And then John Leguizamo was like an up-and-coming comic at the time, and they were like, let's get him to do it. And then Bob Hoskins, like he'd just come off of like Hook and Who Framed Roger Rabbit, so he was like a pretty big oh, commodity for... Hook? Yeah, he plays uh, Smee. Oh! Yeah. I forgot that. <laughs> Bob like, Hoskins yeah. is a good choice for Mario, like... Yeah. Yeah. Just to be clear, I don't like Danny DeVito is probably the second best choice. Yeah, he didn't even really want the role because he didn't want to do like more children's movies. He didn't want to like end up getting typecast. But you know, he 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 did agree after they like agreed to do a bunch of script revisions that he wanted. Now, okay, it's 1993. Who do you think they were considering for the role of Koopa? Wesley Snipes. <laughs> no, but that would be great. I don't know. <laughs> okay, so one option was Arnold Schwarzenegger. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> and the second option, and I like it's wild to me that these two actors were considered for the same role, uh, but the other option that they were talking about was Michael Keaton. Batman? Yeah. I'm Mario. No, I'm Koopa. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> or it, so it's between I'm King Koopa or um, Hasta la Vista Mario. Yeah, I don't know which of those would be better. Right? Like, I think Schwarzenegger has the physical presence for the character, mm-hmm. but I mean, Michael Keaton is by far the better actor. Yeah, Michael Keaton can act, so that's a that's a plus. <laughs> yeah. I don't know, I'm just like imagining him like he plays the vulture in the new Spider-Man movie, but as like King Koopa, very working class. Um, and this one's interesting, and this I think might have saved the character of uh, Toad. But their first choice for Toad was Tom Waits. Oh my god, actual musician Tom Waits. Yeah, uh, but he wasn't available, so uh, they, they I was got... kind of worried you were going to say something really crazy like Prince. Oh gosh, <laughs> oh my god. Yikes. Oh. Fan cast. Um... Yeah, so then they went with uh, Mojo Nixon, who plays him in in the movie. Mojo Nixon is the kind of name that I want to say is cool, (laughs) but is objectively not. That's a series of decisions that didn't happen. I think the wildest is still Tom Hanks as Luigi. Yeah, that Tom Hanks as Luigi in 1993 would have been really, really interesting version of this character. Oh, anyways, uh, any any more major points? I mean, I just want to talk about how interesting the actual production was because they shot this movie, most of this movie, lots of the alt universe stuff was all shot in a massive cement factory in North Carolina. First of all, all of the structures, like all of the structural support was all concrete in this massive abandoned factory, which meant they could just hang really heavy stuff in this factory without worrying about how much weight they were putting on the supports. That's cool. Uh, which gave them a lot of freedom to like build things in this uh, for this production, but also it was like multi-leveled, so oh. they had like multiple layers. So when you see in the movie, there's the walkways up top, and then the street level stuff happening below. That's all one individual set that they constructed that way because they had room to do that. Because way bigger than a soundstage would have been. Yeah, like it does have that indoor quality, but it's thoroughly not a soundstage, so I was vaguely confused yeah. about it. That's really interesting. Yeah, I thought that was cool. It explains why everything is so dark. <laughs> mm. Uh, the fungus was made by like coating fishing line in uh, hot glue. Okay, that makes sense. That's a but, lot yeah, of glue. Probably... Yeah. I mean, it's probably less gross to touch than it looks then, because it looks really gross. Yeah. Do we know if the like people who did the makeup and special effects did anything else after this? Because there's good work in here, and I hope that 
being involved in this didn't crash their careers or anything. I think we can assume the production designer for Blade Runner. But like, I mean, the the visual effects teams, I think, did fine because that was the one thing that seemed to be well received about this movie. Yeah. Also, I guess the the bigger problem isn't that they were in the Mario movie; it's that it was the '90s and computers were about to be a thing. Mm. Oh yeah, this is a, an interesting point. Uh, the, the, this was the first movie that was scanned with the digital intermediate to do the effects compositing. I don't so know what that means. means. Th- they, they shot the movie on film and then they, they like scanned the film oh. to create a digital version of it so then oh. they could take that and do all of the effects work in computers. That's cool. And then output it again onto another film. Well, that is like... like another generation film. That's probably one of the reasons copy. why it looks so good. Yeah, that was the first time that was ever done. And then the the uh, directors wanted to like edit the whole thing by computer, but they were ousted by the, by the editor and some of the executives who were adamant that it be edited on film. I feel like a lot of this was yeah. just the movie. The movie cost that much money because they were trying a lot of new stuff, and yeah. it was probably really expensive to do i mean that also like delayed the final effects cut of the movie because they had to output it all to film again and then cut the film and then put the film back together whereas if they'd done it all in computer they could have just done all of the effects compositing there finished everything out and then outputted the final which is the pipeline now nowadays yeah that's what they do on film yeah yeah so it's very modern really it is yeah like it's it's amazing how much of this movie is just trying new things and mostly succeeding but just it's less than the sum of its parts yeah that's a good way of describing the mario movie yeah super mario movie is less than the sum of its parts oh we haven't talked we haven't talked about the post-credit scene wait there's a post-credit scene there is a post-credit scene i didn't watch it darn it's it's very short, but uh, there's a post credit scene. All right, so it's Mario and Luigi's uh, living room, and the camera is facing these two Japanese men in suits, oh, no. and they are oh. proposing. They're proposing making a video game about th- th- these characters' exploit, and then the camera angles on the couch, and it's not Mario and Luigi; it's Spike and Iggy. Oh, good. <laughs> sitting there. Okay. They're and they uh, are like trying to come up with a name for this for this video game based on their adventure and they come up with super koopa cousins so that's that's your post credit scene yeah this movie is also very modern in the sense that it functions a lot like a marvel movie it's, yeah it's got kind of a superhero movie through line to it yeah it's very much like this is a universe we're setting up and here is evidence that we're doing more and this is a post credit scene and that doesn't amount to anything but part of me wants to see the nintendo cinematic universe that would have existed from this movie mm-hmm. all right so i feel like we've talked quite a bit about the super mario brothers movie is there any significantly hot takes that you have left Lexi? uh i mean all i can say is lizard tongues <laughs> yes lizard tongues uh trust the fungus trust the fungus and uh remember to like not try to merge universes together oh also like this is something i noticed about the plot it seems like the only reason that merging the universes together is bad is because Koopa's going to be an asshole and, like, yeah. de-evolve everybody. If, like, the king were to do it, it would solve their, like, energy crisis and also, like, combine two worlds, which is neat. Yeah. I feel like I feel like it would be kind of cool to play a tabletop role-playing game in that, like, combined universe. Or just, like, like, the Mushroom Kingdom, even. This is 10 years after the refugee crisis of the Mushroom Kingdom, and now there are lizard people among humanity in, like, 2000s-era New York. Yeah, that would actually be a really cool world to play in. 
I mean, even just here's an RPG where it's dinosaurs didn't die and evolved alongside humans. Yeah. Yeah. So uh. that's, uh, I guess, my hot like that's my hot take for this is that the, the plot of the movie didn't have to happen. They could have just combined the worlds before Cooper took over, and it would have been fine. Yeah. Um. Do we want to like rank, give our ratings of the movie? Yeah, let's give it like a rough rating here. Uh, out of five blue shells. Okay. <laughs> I'm gonna give this movie like a two. Two? Two seems about right. I was, I was airing around like a 2.5-ish, somewhere in that area. Yeah, that's that's about where I was at, too. I was, um, before we got on blue shells, I was going to give it like a solid like C plus, maybe B minus out of 12. <laughs> <laughs> that's a great way of saying it. This movie's got a C minus out of 12. Uh, yep. So uh, we'll talk about like how it compares to other video game movies in the future so this has been video game the movie the podcast i'm mackenzie easton you can find me on twitter at at kenzie phoenix i am nathan bertram you can find me on twitter at bert nerdtram i am lexi conwell and you can find me on twitter at conwell underscore alex all right thank you all for joining us for video game the movie the podcast and remember trust the fungus (laughs) 